All right, good morning. Good morning. So we're we're getting to 930. Um, and just so we can make sure we have enough time to get through, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll pray and uh, we'll get started. So why don't you uh, why don't you pray with me? Our Creator God, we are so thankful to be here um, to just have an opportunity to um, ponder your creation and and what the Bible teaches us. Um, there's more there than we can uh, than we can wrap our minds around, Lord. But we uh, we just pray for the Spirit to uh, to be upon us, and uh, Lord, we lift up the other Sunday school classes, uh, the other teachers. Lord, we pray for the children that are in those classes. Um, just for their hearts, Lord, that uh, as they're hearing your word this morning, Lord, that even now at young ages, Lord, you would begin to uh, give them a heart of flesh, Lord, that we would see our children uh, grow to love you and worship you. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, I have... uh, Hello, Michelle. (laughs) So I have the... uh, privilege to fill in for Pastor Mike today as he's going to be teaching, uh, and actually I'll be back uh, next week as well, and we'll, we'll do some more on uh, um, creation, so just kind of looking at uh, where we're going, uh, we're at the Doctrine of Creation, Part 1, and uh, before we get into that though, we'll just kind of go real quick through a couple of the things that uh, Pastor Mike talked about last week, so we talked about the uh, communicable attributes. So, anybody remember what communicable is? What? Attributes. Yeah, attributes that we that 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 we share, right? Or we we're, we're more like uh, yeah, we share more with, I guess, right? Uh, so we talked about omniscience, right? So it's all knowing. Um, you look at Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-one. And uh, Jesus is telling us not to be anxious for anything, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, because your Father knows what you need, and He provides it, right? And then we see that God is truthful. Um, he's the standard of truthfulness. Hebrews 6.18, right? God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Um, and then God is wisdom. So God always chooses the best goals, but not just the goals, but also the means uh, to reach those goals, and namely uh, the cross, right, and, and the path of salvation, foolishness to those who are perishing, um, but it is the wisdom of God. Uh, holiness, so God is holiness, and Pastor Mike said, it isn't first defined by what we do or don't do, but to whom we belong, right? And then justice and righteousness, so that kind of has to do with a strict adherence to the law or the standard, and God is always uh, right and good and acts accordingly. So, uh, Quick review. So this this week we're going to talk about um, kind of some biblical truths about creation, and uh, and then kind of what we can learn in the Genesis account of creation. All right. So we'll get into it here. So the first uh, the first truth, uh, creation. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> creation was rapid and out of nothing. So we'll look at uh, Psalm thirty three. Uh, starting in verse 6, and it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Uh, and then in verse 9, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So kind of based on the plain reading of Scripture, we see that God created the universe 
uh, out of nothing, right? We call this ex nihilo. We were having a conversation about that. That's Latin, uh, literally out of or from nothing, right? So there wasn't, uh, there wasn't this thought that there was some matter or something that God kind of had to work with um, prior uh, to creation, right? And so that, it's not wanting to stay, so that um, uh, there's this, this, you see this is like a dualistic mindset, right? So you see that like, like Star Wars, you're familiar with Star Wars, right? So you have the Jedi and the Sith, right? So this matter isn't good, but God is good and the spirit is good, right? So there was, there was literally nothing and um, God created everything. You see that in First John, or First John, in John 1, 3, uh, it says that all things, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made, right? So uh, we, we, we believe that he created uh, everything rapidly out of nothing, right? And so uh, the next truth that kind of comes, uh, uh, that we can look at there along that lines is that God created all things and he created everything with the appearance of age. Or you might say that he created everything mature, right? So um, let's look at uh, in Revelation um, chapter 4, get there, and in verse 11 it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Right, so uh, God created all things according to his will. We see this in Nehemiah 9.6, right, it says, You are the Lord you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you, right? So it's pretty clear that all is all, God made everything, um, but not only that, but he created it mature, right? So in the Genesis account in verse 11, um, we see that God created plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit. And in verse 20, he says that he created the birds to fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So they weren't uh, an egg in a nest. You know, it answers the question of the chicken or the egg, right? So the chicken came first. Um, You know, and one of the things I found interesting was that we also see this in starlight. Um, So uh, on the fourth day, it says that God... Uh, let, he said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of, hev- of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So that kind of has this, it, it happened and that was the pattern that it would carry on, right? It was so. You see that over and over throughout the account, right? But so when God created the stars, they were giving light on the earth immediately. So now if you know anything about stars and the speed of light, it travels at just something like 186,000 miles a second. So that's pretty fast. But the, the farthest star that we've discovered based on the Hubble telescope is 9 billion light years away. So the thought is that it takes light 9 billion years to get to earth. But when God made it, the light was visible. So it, it, it wasn't like he set the stars in the sky and then eventually the light made it here, you know, millions and billions of years later, right? It, instantly the light was here, right? So it, it gave light to the earth. Um, 
He didn't create the earth as a desolate place, right? So he planted trees. He had trees growing, plants growing, right? So plants weren't seeds. Trees weren't saplings, right? Bears, they weren't cubs. They were full grown, ready to reproduce, ready to bear fruit uh, for food uh, immediately. So we see that God created it mature. Um, Kind of the next truth. um, So when God created all of this, he didn't need to. Um, we see that creation, it was, a, it was a free act, right? It was something that he did um, according to his will. Uh, so in Ephesians 1.11, it says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, right? So the word for works is where we get our word energy or energize. And uh, so when God created everything, he gave it the energy that it needed to begin exactly as he planned for it to operate, right? He didn't just create it in a way that it would be ready to function or eventually function, but he created it functioning, right? So he, when he created the world, it, it was done exactly as he planned for it to be, to be functioning. Um, one thing to r- remember about this is that um, God didn't need to create the world. Uh, there wasn't anything outside of God that uh, required him to create a world or to create us or anything like that, right? We, we know that um, he gets glory from his creation. We see that in Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, for the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Um, in Revelation 4, we saw that worthy are you, O Lord, or worthy are you, our Lord and God, for you created all things. So we know that God gets glory from his creation. We give him glory as we uh, are out experiencing creation and, and, and praising him for it, but there wasn't anything that, de- that determined that he needed to make that in order to be glorious, right? So God has always been eternally glorious um, inside the Trinity from, from eternity past. Um, so one of, the th- one of the things that's really neat about creation is that God made it, um, one of the reasons I think is that God made the universe so that it would show forth his excellent character, right? So it's an integration of all that God is, right? His complete character. Um, we see the power of God in the immensity of creation. Uh, we see the majesty of, of God in the, the grandeur of the universe um, and, and his wisdom in the intricate and purposeful design, right? So all those things can be seen. And we see this in Romans, right? This is it's a creation that reveals uh, God to all men, right? In Romans 1, Verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of, of the world. And they've been perceived in the things that have been made. So in God's creation, when you look at God's creation, those are the things that it reveals, right? His, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, uh, his divine nature. All right? And uh, so... Um, uh, another truth uh, is that God created by his word. So um, we see all throughout the creation account, right? So um, in Genesis, in Genesis 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, 29, and chapter 2, verse 18, the same phrase is repeated over. You guys know, and God said right so his word is it's it's perfect it's powerful it creates instantly 
what he wants exactly how he wants. Um, he didn't take something, as we talked about, he didn't take something that already existed and kind of through a process of trial and error um, fashion the universe, right? He, he, he created it out of nothing and he spoke it into existence. So I don't know uh, if anyone's ever tried to create anything. Um, the time is coming very quickly uh, where, at least for myself, I, I tend to create something on Christmas Eve. I'm not the only one who has put together a bike or a plastic kitchen um, and, and I have instructions and you have, uh, you have all the, well, you think you have all the pieces and inevitably, uh, you know, it's two in the morning before you're done, um, making that, or, or if you buy your furniture at Ikea, right? I mean, it's kind of the same, the came, the same concept, right? And it, but we have everything we need there and it's still difficult to do, you know? And, um, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about, the creation account is that you see God and he's just, he just speaks, right? I mean, talking is so effortless. We do it. And then, you know, we usually put our foot in our mouth, but God is just, it's so easy to open your mouth and just, to just let words come out. Right. And God does that. And I think it just shows how effortless it is for him to create everything that we see and everything that we don't see. Right. I mean, he's, it's just such an, an awesome picture of how easy it was for God to do that. There was no struggle. There wasn't a wrestling match or anything that needed to happen for God to create the world, right? He just spoke it into existence. Um, so another truth uh, about that is that uh, the universe is a triune, uh, a triune act of creation. And uh, so uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mike kind of opened up the Trinity to us and we talked about that, and I know that, um, and I still struggle with that, right? I mean, it's a hard thing to understand and, and, and to grasp, but um, one of the cool things about creation is you look through the scriptures, you can see the Trinity um, in action, um, in the act of creation. So, um, while, uh, and, then, and, and it's not that, you know, they all had individual jobs and they did different things, but they do it in concert with one another, right? They're, they're in perfect harmony. Um, so if you look at, at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 6, right, the Father's kind of seen as the initiator, the, the governor of creation, right? It says, for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, right? So he's the source of all creation, right? And then in submission to that, the Son uh, created all things, right? We saw that in, in John uh, 1, 3, right? And uh, through him, everything was made. And it's referring to the word, right? The, the word that... Uh, uh, was from the beginning, uh, but also in First Corinthians eight, it says that we have one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. So He's kind of seen as the mediator of creation, right? And then the Spirit is the agent of creation. We see this in Genesis one two as He's hovering. The Spirit of God is hovering over the the surface of the deep, uh, the faces of the deep. Uh, in Job twenty six, it says that His referring to God, His wind, His Spirit. Uh, by his wind, uh, the heavens are made fair. And in Psalm 104, it says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. Right? So we, we see all, all three members of the Trinity working together in, in perfect unity and in concert with one another as, as, they, create, uh, as they create the universe. Right? It's, it's, a, it's another picture of the Trinity. Um, so two more truths here. Um, so the universe was created very good. 
So this is uh, um, at the end of uh, the days of creation, God looked at his creation, whether he was separating the light from the darkness or creating starlight or animals or whatever it was, and he, he said that uh, it was good, right? And then at the end of the sixth day, in verse 31, when he looks out over creation, he said, indeed, it's very good. Um, so what does that tell us? It's, it's an affirmation, for one, that God took delight in his creation. Um, you, you know, there is a, we talked about that dualism. Uh, we may touch on that more next week, but um, the idea of dualism, that there's always been matter and there's always been God, and they're kind of this at odds with one another. And, you know, matter, material world is bad and spirit is good. And so we see that that's not the case, right? God looks at his creation, he looks at what he made, and he said, this is very good. So we can, you know, we can infer from that that, that creation is good. Um, granted, there's a fallen aspect, but initially, and even still, there is good aspects to creation, right? And we see that uh, Paul kind of brings that up in First Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Paul's warning Timothy. He says that some are going to depart from the faith, right? And so in verse 1, you, you kind of read it here. They devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So Timothy, be warned. There's going to be people who leave the faith and they're going to follow liars, doctrines of demons. What does that look like, right? Well, these people forbid marriage. They require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So Paul makes it clear to Timothy that, hey, people are going to come in. They're going to they're going to follow a different faith. They're going to they're going to walk away from our faith and they're going to do it by following people that say you can't be married. You can't eat this food. You you creation is is bad. Things are bad. But you know what? What God made is good if it's received with thanksgiving and and through prayer. Right. And so. um I mean, it, it is, it is kind of nice. You know, you stop and think about, think about creation, right? I know we just, earlier this year, we went on, went on a trip. You know, we took a 3,700-mile road trip with six children under the age of 12. And we went to Yellowstone and, and Mount Rushmore and into, you know, Bryce Canyon and all this stuff, right? I mean, and it was, uh, it, no, it was a great trip because as we, as we were there, I mean, we got to see so much of creation. I mean, if you, if you ever get a chance to go, it is worth doing because it, it's amazing to see God's hand, right? And, and just what he has done, right? And, and he's done it so that we can enjoy it, right? I mean, it's, it's good. It's very good. And um, it, is an, it is an awesome way to be able to just see the majesty of God at, at, at work, right? And uh, so ultimately... You know, the fact that creation, uh, the universe was created very good is, is leads to the next one here. And it's that God created the universe to show his glory. Right. And so um, <clears throat> scripture shows us that God's creation is meant to give us glory. We saw that in Psalm 19, verse one. Right. The heavens declare the glory of God. You see it in Psalm 50, verse six. The heavens declare his righteousness. In Job 26, Job's going um, on and on about the about God's uh, creation and everything. And he says, he hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up waters in thick clouds. By his power, he still he stilled the sea. Behold, these are but the outskirts, the fringes, the edges. This is barely 
part of God's ways, right? It's the outskirts of his ways, right? All the things that he did, right? He's glorified in the creation of man. It says that everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, right? Um, the picture in Revelation uh, shows that throughout all eternity, God is going to receive uh, glory because he created all things. Um, so whenever there's, I'll, I'll start, I'll, I'll look at verse 9. And I know I read verse 11, uh, but I'll, I'll start at verse 9. And so, um, so when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall, will fall down before him. Who, sit on the th- who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So that's the eternal worship of God, right, is, is for his creation. Um, and another thing that we understand, right, and we talked about it, but God didn't create the world or, or any part of creation so that he, uh, because he needed that, right? He didn't do that because that was what was going to give him glory. He gets glory from that, but he's always been eternally glorious. A few weeks ago, we talked about the aseity of God or his, his independence, right? God is completely independent of, of, any, of anything outside of himself. So um, he doesn't need that to be complete or to get some glory that he might have been missing. Um, but we, we do honor him with glory through his creation. All right, so those are kind of just some of the truths uh, that we can see. So now, uh, if we look at the Genesis account, what, are, what, are, what can we learn from the Genesis account? So I want to look at just a few, uh, a few theories on the creation account, um, and then we'll... we'll uh, We'll be we'll we'll wrap it up after that. So the first kind of theory of of creation here is is called this literary framework. So um, the literary framework kind of sees each day in Genesis as a framework um, that teaches us God's creative activity. Um, this is a more recent addition to um, a way to interpret uh, the creation account in Genesis. Uh, somewhere around 1924. It came into kind of more uh, popularity in the 50s uh, in the U.S. But um, it seeks to kind of reclassify the genre of Genesis from what's always been historical narrative to more poetic. Um, So undoubtedly there is poetic literature in Genesis, but um, historically the creation account of Genesis has always been a historical narrative. so what they've done is they kind of put two triads of days in there. So you have days one through three are kind of the forming days, and then four, five, and six are the filling days. And then they kind of group that together. So you get days one and four, two and five, and, and three and six. And they, they group that together, and, and it's basically two sides of the same coin. So it's a different way um, to look at the same event of creation. And they say event because they don't, there isn't a chronology, there isn't a sequence that it's not how they look at it. It's just a picture of how God created the universe. Um, it's a framework, right? And that's, so that's kind of where the name comes from, the literary framework. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to square that with science, right? So you don't have to, um, you don't have to argue 
whether we have a young earth or an old earth, if science changes, well, yeah, we're, this is just a framework. We can kind of bend and mold as we, as we want to, uh, to fit that. Um, Meredith Klein, he's kind of the proponent, the, one of the main proponents of the theory, and so I'll just kind of quote what he said here, and this is kind of along those lines. So he said, <clears throat> the conclusion is that as far as the time frame is concerned, the chronology, the sequence, as far as any of that is concerned, with respect to both the duration and sequence of events, the scientist is left free of biblical constraints in hypothesizing about cosmic origins. So Meredith Klein would claim to be a Bible-believing Christian, a Bible-believing evangelical that says, as we look at the Genesis account and we take this view, we're free of any biblical constraints that might make it hard to, to hypothesize about cosmic origins. Um, it, it's an interesting thing. I, in, you know, it's, we don't have a, a lot of time to go into it, but it is, these are all worth studying, right? And, and coming up with, a, you know, kind of some of the knowledge about these, uh, about these views, right? Um, the next view um, is, is the day-age view. Um, so the day-age view, it kind of sees each day uh, in Genesis as extremely long ages. And so kind of where this one um, comes down to is um, just kind of the way the word uh, yom, yom, yom is used in the creation account. What does it mean? So that's the word for day um, that's used uh, in the Old Testament some 2,200 times. And the argument is that um, it's not strictly meant as a 24-hour or solar day, right? So there's some verses on the page, I think, that kind of show um, ways in which that word is used. It's not, it isn't just used as a 24-hour day or as a, the daylight portion of a day, right? It's, it is used in other ways. Um, the other argument that they have is that on the sixth day of creation, there's a lot of activity going on. And so it's, um, I was looking at it last night, you know, um, God creates man. He creates the beasts of the field. Um, he places man in the garden. Uh, Adam is given the charge to tend and to keep the garden, to work it and keep it. Uh, he is charged to name the animals. Um, he is put under and has a rib removed and Eve is created. And then God brings Eve to Adam and performs the first uh, marriage ceremony. So the argument is that, hey, man, th- there's a lot of stuff going on, and this is all happening in the sixth day of creation. It's just impossible that that could happen uh, in 24 hours, right? I mean, it's just not, it's, it's not something that could happen. Um, so that's kind of one argument that they have. Um, there's others. Um, I'll, I'll quote Wayne Grudem, uh, who, who holds to this view, and he says, to the one who lives forever, for whom one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, who delights in gradually working out all his purposes over time, the evidence of incredible antiquity in the universe would then serve as a vivid reminder of the even more amazing nature of God's eternity. Just as the incredible size of the universe causes us to wonder at God's even greater omnipresence and omnipotence. So um, one of the... One of the things I've kind of wrestled with thinking about that view is, um, so if each day is an age, what happens? So at some point there has to be death um, in the creation, right? So 
God creates animals, birds, fish, beasts, you know, before man. So at some point, there would be death. And he, he doesn't say that, you know, he argues that the Bible doesn't say that, there, that the animals didn't die. It's that man didn't die. Um, death is the last enemy. Uh, God looked at creation at the very end. He said it's very good. Um, in Romans 5, when man sinned, death came into the world. It seems that, you know, it could be just referring to man there. But it's, it's something that, it's a question that I have, right? And so it's worth it is worth uh, investigating. It's worth looking at. But I, I just find it hard that, um, that there would be death there before the fall, right? Um, so looking at another view, right? And this is, this is more uh, where I would stand is that uh, is young earth creation, right? And so the young earth creation, it sees each day in Genesis as six literal 24-hour solar days. So again, we look back at the word... Yom, which is day. Uh, the primary use of this word, so like I said, it's used over 2,200 different times. The primary use of this word over 1,900 of those times is in fact uh, a 24-hour day or the daylight portion of a day. So the vast majority of the time the word is used is, uh, is in that context. Um, MacArthur, MacArthur said that any time that that word is qualified by a cardinal or ordinal number. So in other words, when we look at creation, there was evening, there was morning, the first day. It's, it's qualified by a number. There was evening, there was morning, the second day. Anytime it's used in that reference, universally it refers to a 24-hour day. Um, the other thing that just kind of stands out is that in verse 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31, you have this phrase, there was evening and there was morning. It just seems that the plain reading of Scripture um, would be that if you have an evening and you have a morning, you have a day, right? Um, now, I know that God didn't create stars and, and the sun until the fourth day, but that doesn't matter, right? He, on the first day, God created light. I don't know what the light was, but God created light, and he separated it from the darkness. It was good. There was evening. There was morning the first day. So whatever the light was, it was good enough that it uh, was seen as good and it created a, a solar day, right? Or at least a, a passage of a day. Um, one of the things that I think, for me at least, is one of the clearest indicators that God did it in six literal days is, because he could have done it in six minutes, he could have done it in six, I mean, instantly, right? Everything could have been created instantly. Um, but I think the, the, the surest affirmation is that God actually took six days to do it. So um, he created a pattern in that six-day creation, right? So if you look at the stars, he says when the stars were created in day four, that they would be for signs, they'd be for seasons, they'd be for years, and they'd be for months, right? So if you look at the stars at all, and I don't, you know, I, I have a telescope and I like astronomy, but you have winter constellations, you have summer constellations, and so these things are around at certain seasons of the year, Right there, you know, when you're in winter, because you can look up and you can see certain constellations that you don't see in the summertime. Um, you also, does anybody know how long the lunar cycle is? It's a month, 29 and a half days. So from new moon to new moon, 29 and a half days. So there you have a month, right? So you have seasons, you have, you have months. What in the world gives us a week? There isn't anything. I mean, I've I've thought about it, but there isn't anything that gives us a week. 
But God created that. In, in Exodus 20, when God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, right? What does he say? He sets this pattern. In verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Why? Because in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So I think it's a pattern, right? We have that pattern. We have that week, that six days of working and one day of, as a Sabbath holy to the Lord, all right? Uh, so what do we do, right? Science says the earth is billions of years old. So kind of how do we square that? Well, science, the Bible doesn't need to bend to science, right? Science doesn't sit on the throne, um, but here's just a couple thoughts, right? So we know that God's creation has the appearance of age. We talked about that. Um, he created it mature. Um, when, when God planted seed or when God uh, created plants um, on the sixth day, he put man in the garden. He said, I'm giving you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth is verse 29. And every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food. So the food was ready. The seed was ready, right? At, after he created... Uh, the birds and man and the animals and, and everything. He, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. So they were ready to reproduce, right? So, I mean, there's, um, there is this aspect that everything was created mature, right? And, and God created everything. So there was, it, the world wasn't just this, you know, barren flat land and, and water, right? I mean, God created animals that only live in caves and he created animals that only live in the depths of the sea. And so all these things existed. There was, would have been geologic features and everything that, that would have existed, right? Um, but I also don't necessarily think that God is trying to fool everyone into thinking that the world is billions of years old, right? So kind of this next thought is that, you know, the flood, if you look at the flood, um, it brought about a cataclysmic impact on the earth. Um, so in Genesis 6, uh, the wickedness of man is increased on the earth, right? And uh, it, there's a stunning statement in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the Lord purposed to bring about a flood. And in chapter 7, verse 11, it says that the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. So rain, just rain falling alone isn't enough to um, flood the entire earth. But you see that there's fountains of the deep that opened. Um, there would have been, I mean, it's hard to imagine exactly what would have happened. Um, but I mean, things would have, tectonic plates, things would have shifted. The earth would have brought forth from underneath. You probably have magma and you get steam that can then get into the sky and, and, uh, and rain down, right? And, um, you know, there's some thought that when God separated the waters below from the waters above, there's a canopy over the... I, and I don't know, right? I mean, it's not really the point, but if that comes down and the windows of heaven open, it, the fact is, is that it's hard to imagine exactly what the earth would have been like on the flood. Um, we get a small glimpse of that. So if you, I was doing some, some looking at some like volcanic uh, eruptions and the impact that they have. Uh, if you look at like the Mount St. Helens eruption... It's actually pretty interesting. Um, the American uh, Meteorological... Wow, I can't say that. I knew that was... Did I? All right, cool. It has to do with weather. Um, so <laughs> um, the impact, uh, it had an 8 degrees Celsius temperature impact. 
on Idaho and Montana. Um, we also, you know, I was looking at the, uh, the Institute for Creation Research, and so they were talking about this. And um, so when, when it erupted, there was um, stratification, right? So this is just layers, different strata that we see um, in, in, in rocks, right? And so the thought is that over millions of years, these, the plates kind of push down and it pushes up and this, you know, this sand comes here and, this, and then so animals get buried in that and they get compressed and then we get fossils and so on and so forth. Um, they saw this stuff happen through the eruption of, of Mount St. Helens, right? So what wasn't there before the eruption was there after the eruption. So it kind of shows that um, there is an impact that some catastrophe can have on, on, some, on some of those geologic uh, uh, formations, right? And they also saw, uh, if you look at erosion, right? So uh, the badlands and different things where we think this erosion takes thousands of years, um, they saw it happen within five days. So as they're out there afterwards and they're viewing the landscape and, and, the, and the geology of the area, they're watching this stuff happen within five days. So um, that's not to say that there aren't natural processes that happen, but that doesn't determine that the earth has to be uh, billions of years old, right? And so we can kind of see this in a small scale, right? And so, like I said, it's hard to imagine what actually happened or what the earth would have been like in the flood, but we can certainly... Uh, conclude that there would have been some serious uh, geologic activity, right? A massive catastrophe. Um, so what can we, what do we apply from this, right? So I think there's a couple things. Um, one of the things we understand is that creation, uh, the creation of the world is good. Um, God created it good. He wants us to use it uh, in a way that's pleasing to him. Um, we look at the saints in Acts chapter 2, and it says that uh, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, right? So um, God's not a miser. He's not created a world that he doesn't want us to enjoy. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's given us a variety of food. I mean, think about the things we eat, right? I mean, different cultures, different things. It's, you know, um, we have a, a great variety that we get to enjoy, and he wants us to enjoy that, um, you know, and praise him for it. And there's another aspect of it um, that as we dig into creation, we get this technical and scientific information, and, and that's a good thing, right? It helps with apologetics. It helps with our knowledge. Um, and there's this really cool, I, I, I found it uh, this week. And um, so Psalm 111, verse 2, um, it's really, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty amazing verse. Uh, it says, great are the works of the Lord, right? Studied by all who have pleasure in them. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, God wants us to study them, right? I mean, that's, um, I just think that's amazing that one of the ways that we can delight in the Lord and take pleasure in him is by studying his great works, right? Learning about them. Uh, it's not creation or the Trinity or any of those things that we can study. They're not things to just be left on a shelf, or left for theologians and, and let us know what you think or whatever, right? These are things that we should be studying, um, things that we should be finding pleasure in, things that, uh, um, things that we should be enjoying, right? Um, another aspect is that our application is that God's sovereign. Um, we owe everything that we see and don't see uh, to him. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of everything, right? He holds, uh, he upholds all things by the, the word of his power, right? And, um, but this fact also gives us hope. Um, so the world we know is fallen. Um, 
And, and, and we do have hope, though, for a new creation, right? We look at Romans 8, um, uh, starting in verse 18, and it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And how exciting. Right? Those of us who are adopted, we await this new creation, right? Um, and we can praise him eternally for that. So uh, I got done early, so we have some questions. Uh, I'll do my best. So uh, are there any questions? So I, uh, tell me if I heard this right. So the question is, if, if the pattern was six days and then one day Sabbath, why do we um, why do we work on Sundays and have two days off? Is that five and two, basically, right? And maybe so. And, and I'm, you know, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, so. Where is the verse? And I, I, I may need someone to help, right? But um, Paul, Paul kind of brings this up, I think, um, as he talks about one person um, considers one day. You know what, Brian? I'm drawing a blank. What is it? Right. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember the verse. I'll, I'll look it up. But um, I think, so when, when we look at the, the, the pattern, we see that there is six days of work and one day of, of rest, right? And, and God created the world on the seventh day, or created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested. Um, I think the pattern is that we have a day in which we set aside worship, and rest um, for our Creator, right? Um, why do we work? Well, yes, Brian. Romans fourteen five. Romans fourteen five. Yeah. Let me see that here. Yeah, that that might have been the one I was thinking of. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, Romans 14, 5. So one, one person regards one day above another. Um, another regards every day alike. Um, so uh, the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people felt they were compelled to observe the Sabbath, right? We see that all through the gospel account, right? 
I was just talking to my wife about it, right, as, as we were reading through there, is that's, they, it seems like Jesus, every miracle he did was on the Sabbath, right? And um, so there isn't that dogmatic approach that every, every, you know, only Sunday is the day that, that is set aside. But, um, yeah, w- w- we can look at that uh, in, in Romans fourteen five, right? So he who observes the day observes it for the Lord in verse 6. Um, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So, um, for not one of us lives, in verse 7, for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. Yeah. 30 seconds. Anything else? Yeah, so I put an article in there, but if you guys have time, check out that um, that Institute for Creation Research. Uh, it's a pretty... It's a pretty awesome website. Uh, maybe, maybe you already have, um, but if not, uh, it's pretty neat. Okay, well then I will pray, and um, we will be done. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we are we are grateful uh, just for your creation, Lord, and um, Lord, we're grateful that uh, you have. Uh, given it for us to enjoy, uh, for us to praise you through it, Lord, and we are uh, we are full of praise to you for the wonderful things that you have made. Um, and Lord, I just pray that as uh, as we go forward, we would uh, continue to praise you for creation, Lord, and and uh, and honor you uh, through our study and through our enjoyment of it. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.